Good morning. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we're in the middle of a, a series called Seven Weeks That Changed the World. And uh, in this series, we're, we're tracking Christian history from Jesus's resurrection uh, to the birth of the church. And today we have come uh, to the start of the book of Acts. And Acts is a book like no other in that it vividly portrays this seismic change, if you like, uh, for the world. At the start of the book of Acts, there is no church. Uh, there are no Holy Spirit-empowered uh, disciples. They have no courage. They have no authority. They have no direction, no purpose, uh, if you like. But by the end of the book, the situation is very different. This group of ordinary men and women um, have become so utterly transformed and empowered that the world will never be the same again. You could say they've been emboldened with a God-given power to teach and proclaim the good news of Jesus to anyone who will listen. And the new church spans the whole of the Roman Empire, from Rome, if you're Roman, to Jerusalem, or if you're, if you're Jewish, from Jerusalem to Rome. But it spans the whole of, of the empire. Now, we're not going to go to the end of, the, of Acts in, in this series. We're just going to spend some time in the first uh, few chapters. Uh, we've been in Luke, and, and here we are in, in, in Acts. And right here at the start of Acts, Luke, who is the writer he makes crystal clear how this change, this, this seismic change, if you like, will, will take place. God's plan is that his gospel will be proclaimed all over the world by his Holy Spirit-empowered people. That's how change took place then. It's how change takes place now. God's plan is that his gospel will be proclaimed all over the world by his Holy Spirit-empowered people. So before we look at that uh, in more detail, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And we thank you that he is alive today. 
We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and we ask now that he would do his work in our hearts this morning for the good of your kingdom. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Three headings uh, this morning then, and the first is this, the end of the beginning. The end of the beginning. Take a look at uh, verse 1, if you have a Bible in front of you, of Acts chapter 1. You might have it on your phone. Uh, you hopefully you may have brought a Bible with you in some, uh, uh, of some description. But uh, this is Acts 1. It will be on the screen as well. In the first book, this is what Luke begins, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So let's get our bearings. Uh, we really do need to understand uh, that the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are a two-part work by, by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was, of course, a friend. He was a, an associate of the Apostle Paul. And his two-volume work is addressed to this chap called Theophilus, with the expressed intention, don't forget, to write an orderly account so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. Now, that's the, the start of, of, of Luke. Uh, we've covered that before. And here, in verse 1 of Acts, Luke begins by linking back to that gospel account. In effect, he says that was part one, uh, and part one was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. It is, if you like, the end of the beginning. But the implication is that Jesus is very much in both parts. So often we think, don't we, Gospels, Jesus, Acts, Church. But from the outset, what, what Luke says is Gospels, what Jesus began to do, Acts, what Jesus continued to do. And Luke wants his readers to know that Jesus is still very much alive and at work. In, this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Hang on. Jesus was taken up to heaven. We saw that last week, didn't we? The disciples worshipped. They praised him as, as he went. How is he going to continue this work when he's in heaven? Keep reading. Verse 2 says, Until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The answer to that question, Jesus will continue his work through his people in the Holy Spirit's power. And what is that work? It is the growth of the kingdom of God by this risen king, by the risen Lord Jesus, the one who is risen from the dead, the one who is very much alive. Luke is at pains to, to make this point. Take a look at verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after, suffering, uh, after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I don't know about you guys, but I have been so encouraged by spending time looking again at these proofs. Uh, as we do uh, after, after, at Easter and after Easter. The proofs that Jesus have, has risen from the dead. The empty tomb. First discovered by the women. We were reminded about that. You know, well, you know, if, you were make, you know if you were wanting something watertight, you wouldn't have uh, allowed this story to, to have been, the empty tomb to have been discovered by the women. The appearance on, on the road to Emmaus. And when Ramsey was spe speaking to us and those disciples, you know, they had hope, but we had hoped for something else. And now what? And then the risen Lord Jesus comes to them. 
And there's that wonderful moment, isn't there, where it says, and our, did our hearts not burn within us as Jesus was alongside us? The sudden appearance of, of Jesus in the disciples' midst as they, as, they, as they were allowed to touch the very wounds in his body, the wounds of his suffering. He, he ate fish with them. He, he continued teaching them. Yes, we can have confidence from these proofs that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Sin is, con- sin is conquered. Death is defeated. The kingdom is established. In his ministry, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come. And it is established. It is the end of the beginning, but there is still work to do. And for that work, followers of Jesus need an essential equipping. An essential equipping. That's our second main heading uh, this morning. So take a look down at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does Jesus mean by this? Clearly, Jesus had spoken to his disciples about what the Father's promise was. Perhaps he had mentioned the way God had promised to work in in, in ways by his spirit and and the, the, the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel had spoken about. Maybe Jesus had referred, was referring with his disciples to Joel 2, in which God says, It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that the Lord would call his remnant in Jerusalem. But whatever the specifics of that, Jesus makes very clear that the words of John the Baptist are about to be fulfilled. In other words, God's plan is progressing. That's what we are supposed to see here. The plan is progressing. God's promise is about to be fulfilled. And the place of, of Jesus's um, rejection, the place of that, that horrific kind of negative negativity in the world's eyes where he was put on the cross and where he suffered and where the disciples scattered, where the dream had come and ended in, almost in, in, in tatters, that place, Jerusalem, was about to witness the beginning of a new mission. Don't leave Jerusalem. This is where phase two will begin. And for it to begin, guess what? You need my power. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, as we read God's word, we need to be careful. Because it it is very easy to read verse five and and go ahead actually to to, to verse eight as well, which says, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's very easy to read these these verses, to then jump ahead to Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, the wind, the fire, the speaking in tongues. And then it's very easy for us to make the leap leap immediately to ourselves. We'll we'll think to ourselves, well, we're Jesus' followers. We'll receive the Holy Spirit just the way they did when we really become Christians and we're sent on our mission by God. And and if, if some don't, well, that then might mean that they're not really Christians at all. And we need to be very, very careful with that. Because just because Luke records the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit in a particular way here, it doesn't mean that it is this way for all Christians throughout all time. Those first disciples were unique. 
their time, the, 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 the time they were living in was unique. It was a crucial turning point in God's history of salvation for all humanity. It was a crucial turning point. And, and as such, it needed to be appropriately signaled. It needed to be appropriately signposted. Not just for them, but for all of us who, who follow afterwards. Nevertheless, with that plea for, for caution sort of hopefully noted... The point here to make is that all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit in the sense that the Lord has given himself to us all in the person of his Holy Spirit. And that is an incredible, incredible truth. And with that essential, we could say mind-boggling equipping of God himself, we are supposed to take on this new mission. This is my third and final point, a new, a new mission. Of course, it's not new, not, not from God's perspective, at least it's not a new mission. This was his plan all along from before the foundation of the world. But from the perspective of human history, it was new. From the perspective of, of, of the disciples, their whole frame of reference, if you like, was, was about to be, was being radically redefined. Something significant had taken place. Take a look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you see what they were expecting? Okay, Lord, we, we got it wrong. Yeah, you, you came on a donkey, not a war horse. We've got that now. You were overthrown on that cross. You didn't come to over, oh, oh, but we were expecting you to overthrow. You didn't overthrow in that way. But now, Lord, now you're alive. Now, now you've risen. Now is the time that you will restore, is it? That you will restore Israel's national independence? Is now the time that you will empower an army to destroy those who, who don't love you? Is it now, Lord? And they're still not quite there, are they, bless them? <laughs> but neither would I be, neither would you be if you, if you were there then, I don't think. And Jesus is patient. Uh, he is gentle. A direct yes or no to their question is not what they needed. How similar can we be? Sometimes we have direct questions for God, don't we? And a direct yes or no may not be what we get. Very often it's not what we need, actually. And Jesus says, trust me, relax, calm down. God has got this. He's in control and nothing but nothing will stop God's plan unfolding when and how he has intended that plan to unfold. Nothing. And in a way, that's what he says to his disciples in verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know, but here's what you do need to know. Here is the, answer to the, here's the real answer to the question that you're asking, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and here are your new orders, here is your new mission, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here then is the new mission 
for those first believers. Here is the mission for every believer that has followed since. We are called to something greater than ourselves. We are called by somebody greater than ourselves. He calls each one of us to get involved in his mission, to play a part in expanding his kingdom for the glory of his name. It's not about our dreams. Mary, one of the first. Peter, Paul, Lydia, Timothy, witnesses for the risen Lord Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Maybe some more modern names. William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Jim Elliot. Witnesses for the risen Lord Jesus to the ends of the earth. What about us? Witnesses in the Northeast. Friends of ours who have moved on, witnesses now in other parts of the country. When we become Christians, the sooner we realize that we have a new and a higher purpose, the better. And what I mean by that is that when we become Christians, our whole frame of reference, if you like, changes. We are no longer making decisions based primarily on what we want. Be it for ourselves, be it for those closest to us. We're no longer living and working from our own, for our own temporary comfort, for our own ease, building our own kingdoms. We have a much greater and way more meaningful task to do as witnesses for the Lord Jesus. And while eventually that may well take you to the ends of the earth, it begins right now in your own Jerusalem. In other words right where the Lord has placed you. That's where it started for those disciples, right where they were. And he wants you to be his witness in the office. He wants you to be his witnesses in your families. He wants you to be his, his witnesses with your school friends. He wants you to be his witnesses in that sports team, with your patients, with your students, with your clients. And you may be tempted to say, yeah, but actually there, there are some ways that I, I can't be. I'm not, I'm not allowed to be. Or, yeah, but it, it, it's just too hard. And I may be overstretching it here, but Acts 1.8 doesn't say, does it? It doesn't say, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth if you're allowed. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth if it's easy. It is a dying world out there, folks. It's a world that is dying. It's a world, as we were reminded earlier, that is in darkness. It's not fashionable to say it, but people are on a trajectory to hell. They are on a trajectory to an eternity without the Lord Jesus, without being in relationship with God. And we... <laughs> have been commissioned by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the risen Lord in the Northeast to be his witnesses. And as always, I'm preaching to myself here just as much as I'm preaching to you. I've got this squared away. How are we going to respond then? 
Well, the original Greek word for witnesses is, um, I think this is how you pronounce it, martyres, uh, from which it will come as no surprise that we get our English word martyr. Of course, the first century Greek writers wouldn't have had the connotations that we have with that word, martyr. For them, it was a legal term. It describes somebody who testified in court. Someone who testified in court to something that they had seen, something they heard, something that they had experienced. So friends, that is the issue for us. Will we tell others about what we have witnessed, about what we have heard, what we have experienced in our own lives? very much tying in with what Dan was saying earlier. Will we be that light in a dark world? It's a simple message. If you have been a Christian for a while, just take it as a, as a reminder and an encouragement of the ultimate mission you are on. If you've recently become a Christian, this is what being a Christian is all about. God's plan is that his gospel is proclaimed all over the world by his Holy Spirit-empowered people. And we need to take heart and we need to draw courage from the truth that we are Holy Spirit-empowered people. We are not left to get on with this task in our own strength. There's no way that I could do that. I'm sure you feel the same on a daily basis. But take heart, take courage that you are not left to do it in your own strength. Just like those followers, those first followers of the Lord Jesus, we are equipped and we are empowered to do what needs to be done and how we need to praise him for that. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, you have empowered each one of us to the task, to this new mission, this mission that you have called us. And so we ask just simply, Lord, at the end of this morning, that you would help us to be faithful witnesses for you. Give us the courage that we need to speak of what we have heard and what we have witnessed and what we have experienced in our own lives. We pray it for your name's sake. Amen.